1: for a seven-day free trial.
2: Today's cool fact of the day is that some bumblebees are nectar robbers. They actually land on a flower and sidestep the process of cross-pollination. They just poke a hole through the side of the flower where they think the nectar might be, and then they suck it out with their tongues. Because bumblebees are (laughs) polite, they actually put a little tiny spray from their tarsus, which is a special gland in their lower leg, that lets other bumblebees know that the nectar is gone. That's just a cool fact. I have no idea how it's relevant to your biohacking, but it was so cool that I decided I want to grow a tarsus so I can mark those myself.
1: What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use.
2: Today's guest is Anise Kavanaugh. She developed something called the IEP method, which is a practice to help leaders and people and teams tap into energetic and creative capacity. I've been wanting to... Talk about creativity and boosting creativity on the podcast because it's something that's been core to my success and boosting an energetic presence. Like, how do you show up on stage? How do you show up in a meeting? And I couldn't find a better guest on the show than Anise. So, Anise, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, Dave. It's great to be here. Thank you.
2: So, what is this intentional energetic presence? <laughs> and is it a bunch of hippie, you know what?
3: Yeah. No, it's not hippie. It's a, it's, it's based. you know what, it's kind of a biohack for leadership. Oh, there you go. It's kind of the way I think about it. I was, I was thinking about your audience today and, you know, the biohacking and how much I've gotten out of just using your products alone. And I started to think about IEP in terms of how, to me, it's one of the quickest ways to create more impact more efficiently. Um, we tend to go through our lives focusing, I think, on the wrong things a lot of times. We t- we focus on skills. We focus on, you know, from a leadership perspective, we focus on things like, you know, the visioning and strategy and all these d- different pieces, collaboration and communication. And while these are all super, super important, if you're missing intentional energetic presence that goes underneath those, if you're missing the presence that goes with it, then all of these skills, no matter how great of a leader you are, they it, you're not optimizing your performance. So to me, IEP is all about literally biohacking your impact and how you take care of yourself so that you can create the impact you're trying to create in the world.
2: Now, the last interview I just did on the show was with a, a friend named Jan Irwin, who's very rational and very well. If we can't all see it, it doesn't really exist. And, and here you are coming up with an energetic presence. Like, do I, have to, do I have to have crystals to have an energetic presence? Like, like. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that with the Bulletproof audience, these are people who are, are trained thinkers, intelligent people. What is the energetic presence that you're, you're training? Like, like, help me understand that. Help our listeners.
3: Yeah, great. Absolutely. So if you take the three words and you take them apart, you've got intention, you have energetic, and you have presence. And to me, the most important words on, the, on those three is intention and presence. So the intention is literally about how intentional we are around the impact we're trying to create, how intentional we are around how we're showing up, you know, how intentional you and I are in this conversation around the impact that we want to create for your audience. Right? So intention, putting that level of intention, you can't necessarily see it, but if you think about any meeting that you ever go into, any conversation you have, how you take care of yourself, that requires a level of intention that for the people that I've seen be the most effective with this they really work on cultivating that their, their ability to create intention. So intention is the most important piece. The presence piece is literally how other people experience you. So I'm sure that anybody in this audience can relate to uh, knowing people in their lives that might be amazing performers, um, you know, excellent leaders, great designers, whatever. They might be fantastic at it. But their, their presence, it actually leaves people feeling worse than when they first came in contact with them or they're, you know, they leave, you know, one of the words I hear a lot is leaving dead bodies behind. So the, the way that they show up, (laughs) they might be phenomenal in their organization, but the way that they show up, it leaves people, um, feeling bad. And so there's that whole, you know, Maya Angelou said, uh, they might not remember what you said, they might not remember what you did, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And to me, presence has, has a huge impact on how you make other people feel. So if you look at intention and what you want to create, and You look at presence as how you're actually showing up to create that impact. Then those two things, those to me, get a little bit more tangible.
2: So the first step is you're working with people on creating their intention. How do they want to show up,
3: mm-hmm. and then
2: how do they sort of create their energy for that, and then how do they actually show up?
3: Yeah. How do they How do they want to show up in terms of what are the outcomes? I mean, there's there's five different levels that I look at intention at, and. You know, the first one is literally as simple as what are the outcomes I want to create out of this meeting or out of this conversation, right? And then we can look at what is the emotional impact I actually want to create on the person I'm with, right? Or the audience. What is the emotional impact? So you talked about, you know, being on stage and stage presence. To me, it's super important before you even go out on that stage that you're thinking about how am I going to show up in order to create an emotional impact in the audience, And what happens is so often we go out and we're living from here up, you know, we're living in our heads, we're not really grounded and centered. So we go out and we're not actually conscious and intentional about the way we show up. And I believe that we've got the ability, and I see this over and over again, I believe we have this amazing superpower to be so intentional about the emotional impact we want to have on other people. So the clearer you can get somebody on that, the the bigger the chances they're going to be able to create that impact.
2: That's a big statement. It's one that in my experience is true. I used to actually be really stressed all the time, Uh (laughs) especially earlier in my career. And when you're in a meeting and you're super stressed, it doesn't matter if you're pantomiming the activities that are appropriate for the meeting. People know that you're stressed. They know that you're not paying attention. They know whatever it is that you're doing, no matter how much you want to hide it or how stressed you are about that. It doesn't change anything. Yeah. So, yeah. so are you actually like taking executives and training them on how mm-hmm. to actually do that? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. And what are some of the companies you've worked with on doing this?
3: I do a lot of work with companies like IDEO, the design firm, um, Cooper. Uh, I've done work with uh, people in IBM, Citigroup. I've got executives that hire me privately all the time. I just had a, a company come out. They flew their two founders out from Washington, D.C., to come in and work with me for two days. To really help them get more grounded in their intentional energetic presence, how they're showing up, and how that was having an impact on the culture. So yeah, there's many
0: ways.
2: So those are some really big companies who are somehow, you know, even though this is a quote soft skill versus hard science. Yeah. Uh, I, is there a way to quantify this?
3: I believe so. I am um, here's here's what normally here's what normally happens. So I usually get the phone call that says, Anise, we need help with you know, our team's not getting along or uh, our collaboration, we're having a hard time collaborating, we need help with communication, I get a lot of requests for um, having difficult conversations and giving feedback. And so what what companies will usually say or what executives will usually say is, you know, I need help with learning these skills, Um, can you help me learn these skills? And what I found, Dave, is that I can go in to a company and I can teach them this beautiful feedback model and I can do all this great work with them around having difficult conversations and whatnot. But if their intentional energetic presence, if their IEP is crappy underneath that, it doesn't matter how good that training is. It's 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 like they're almost fake doing it. It's people can feel it, you know, people can That's feel it. when I if I say something to you and I my energy is off. And I'm not being authentic and grounded. And my intention for you is not great. You're going to feel that. So from a leadership standpoint, it's going to be much more difficult for you to receive me and to actually learn from whatever I'm trying to work with you on.
2: It makes it great makes... sense. Yeah. I'm getting a bit of an echo. Can you turn my volume down a bit on your end?
3: Sure, absolutely.
2: Make sure that that way when people are listening at home, can you still yeah. hear me all right?
3: Yeah, I can still hear you. great.
2: Beautiful. That'll cut the echo.
3: Is that better? Okay, great.
2: So. I I noticed that when I started doing heart rate variability training uh, Mm -hmm. years ago that it made a huge difference when I went on stage. Like people would pick up that I was calm. And and I remember I gave this talk about uh, cloud computing, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, the world's most exciting topic, clearly. And, you know, people are yawning. It's a typical business conference, you know, TAN, Dockers, and whatever. But afterwards, one of the people in the audience came up afterwards, and they said, thank you so much for your talk. And, and I said, oh, you know, you're welcome. You know, are you interested in cloud computing? Can I get a lead? <laughs> you know, the, the thing we do at trade shows. <laughs> and she said, no, I just wanted to say thank you for being so nice, <laughs> <laughs> which was really weird because I wasn't trying to do nice, but I'd done the HRV before I went on stage. Mm-hmm. And, and I was projecting that. And I realized I was kind of intentionally projecting calmness while I talked about, you know, a boring topic. And somehow she'd picked it up and was like, I really enjoyed that. And I got unusually good feedback on that. And I always do heart rate variability before I go out on stage. And before we did this show, like yeah. it just takes a minute. Is that a technique you use or like what what's the secret use for turning on presence and you know, ah. showing integrity when you actually have it?
3: When you actually have it, or when you actually don't have it?
2: When you—oh, I'm saying when you actually have it. I suppose when you don't have it, you might want to show integrity, but that hasn't been I <laughs> <laughs> hasn't been a big focus on how to deceive people. But <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's a whole nother call. I think that's—I got to yeah. think of that one. Um, yeah, you got
2: to call Monsanto for that skill. They have a big need for that.
3: Oh, there you go. Okay, so uh, you know, actually, honestly, I don't do the heart rate variability. I really probably should learn more about it because it's—I'm I'm curious now. You got me a little bit more curious about that. I—for—for for me, what. The way that we've been using or the way I've been doing it is, you know, I started doing this work with athletes years ago. And what I found, I mean, it's my career has evolved from working with athletes to going and working in corporate America to doing health and productivity to like it's just been this evolution. And what I have found is that the the number one thing before you go out on stage, before you go into that meeting, before you do anything is if you can stop and get present and actually just be in your body. You know, as cliche as that sounds, to really be in your body in this present moment and to notice what's happening for you. You know, what are you believing? You know, before you go on that stage, what are you believing? What are the thoughts that you're having about the audience? You know, are they scary? Do you want to contribute to them? You know, whatever your thoughts are, if you can get present to how you're feeling about that audience and you can get present to your breath and your physical body, then all of a sudden that presence is the first step to be able to go step out and... And to show up a little bit more powerfully, you add intention into that, Dave. And to me, it's you know it, you're unstoppable once you've got the intention piece.
2: Okay. So so if people are doing yoga, yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe you're gonna you're gonna get into this. People used to say these words to me. Uh, you know, I, I'm in my late 20s, and I'm like, get into my body. I'm like, where else am I? I'm in my body. What are you talking about? You crack smoker. Right. Okay. Maybe I was a little angry, right? Right. Right. Uh, But it took me three days of focused work at like a personal development thing before I was like, Oh my God, there is like some weird Uh feeling in there. Like wonder what that one is. Like I was that disconnected from what was actually going on in my body. And it was totally making people like not react well to me in ways that I wasn't conscious of. But This is a really tough thing. It took me three days of, of like, weird stuff to get there. Hmm. How do you take an executive who's busy, distracted, you know, probably is eating like crap, doesn't get enough sleep, and all the things that most executives deal with today, how do you possibly get them to pay attention to this? Like, it seems, like, insurmountable, insurmountable, whatever.
3: No, I do. I get them in in a room. I get them in a room either with myself or even better with a group of people. We, You know, we do these two-day events and within the first 90 minutes and you can watch on my site there's clips of this but in the first 90 minutes i literally have people pair up into threesomes and to really one person's an observer one person's a rece- a receiver and one person's a projector and literally dave just by standing there and projecting an intended emotion on another person the person who's receiving it can literally feel what that energy is they can literally feel what's coming at them and so I guess one, you know, a short answer is the way that I have people experience it is I have them see what's happening in their own impact, in their own presence that's actually getting in the way. Because I'm the one that gets the phone call almost every single day saying, I've got my PhD, I'm an MBA, you know, I'm the highest performer in my company, I'm the founder of this awesome company. Like, I'm the one that gets that phone call and says, but I'm still not having the impact that I want to have. Or... You know, I've got all these great things going for me, but people still think I'm a jerk. Like I don't understand why. And every time we look at what's happening for them, nine times out of ten, it has something to do with what's going on in, internally with their IEP. And if we can shift that, then all of a sudden it becomes much easier.
2: I, I was in a workshop once where a woman in her mid 80s, a, a very small woman,
3: mm-hmm. she
2: got a group of 25 people to to think really bad thoughts about. Yeah. a person when, when she yeah. would scratch her nose. Right. It, yeah. And so then she brings in this big, strong guy and she's, she says, okay, you know, hold out your arm and I'm going to just like pull on your arm. And she can't budge. She could hang from his arm. Like, like he's, you know, a weightlifter kind of guy. Yeah. And then she scratches her nose and everyone in the room like sends like really nasty negative thoughts at the guy. And, and I was blown away because literally she reached up with one arm and just yanks his arm down. And he looked at her like she was Superman and had no clue. Yeah. yeah. And Maybe I mean, there was no scam there. They didn't set it up ahead of time. I I know both of them personally, and there was like no prearranged shenanigans. Yeah. And uh, that actually really showed me something about the power of, of my thoughts and feelings towards people. Totally. And I mean, you're getting people in 90 minutes to acknowledge and understand that like what they're thinking and feeling are very important because they do affect other people.
3: Yep, absolutely.
2: And that's a pretty powerful thing to do in a short period of time, especially absolutely. for executives.
3: Absolutely. Well, think about it. I mean, think it. So, so actually, it it actually doesn't even take ninety minutes. It actually, if you think about this, if we're really, really present, all of a sudden our access to intuition and wisdom that we don't have access to when we're running around and not, you know, we're just living in our heads. Space, you know, I think about it as living in our heads, right? if we're really, really present, all of a sudden my presence with you, I'm gonna be much ab- much better able to pick up on what's happening over there, right, with with you. So the minute you get people into a space that is contained where they can actually start to notice how they're showing up, you know, literally everything down to uh, what I think it was the default face, you know, the default face is that facial expression we make when we think nobody else is looking, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we've all been in this room, right? We've all been in that meeting, all of us, the, the guy's going like this and just, you know, and, and maybe even some of your listeners, as they're listening to energy, they're like, "Oh my gosh, why is she talking about energy?" They go, like, oh, "Whatever." Well, that has an impact, right? So that we we have the ability to have an intentional presence and to really pay attention to how we're showing up that either sets people up around us for a better experience or it you know takes away from their experience.
2: Yeah, people <laughs> have asked me how the Bulletproof Executive has grown you know, yeah. the, the blog and the podcast and all the principles you talk about, you know, showing yeah. up with a positive intention. I, I say it, but my actual intention is I want to help a lot of people. That's my core yeah. motivation. I, I don't want to, you know, make a ton of money, although I, I would like to make a living for my family. That's important to yeah. me, oh, but that's not my primary goal. I, like I'm assuming that's going to happen. I sure hope. <laughs> but yeah, if I, if I helped a lot of people and I, I had, you know, to go back to Silicon Valley to get a job, okay. Like, I'm still going to help a lot of people. Yeah. And so the, I know that that's my intent that I set consciously. Uh, that's great. There may be things. What, what else should I do to show up more energetically in, in what I'm doing? And do you have like like give right. me a little coaching session? What a yeah. great time to do it.
3: <laughs> so so actually, if you look and, and anybody that's listening to this can look on my site and it actually shows the full model. But
2: what, what's your URL just so yeah, they can have it? The
3: URL. The best one to go to would be uh, iepmethod.com. And they can also go through anisekavanagh.com, but they, they can download literally a, a quick start module that has the core pieces of IEP, it actually has the the things to pay attention to, and it also has, I think, I think it's got like seven different things you can do immediately to start rebooting your presence. Um, so they're welcome to that. The, uh, for you, so if you think about the model, the... The, in the center of the model is this thing called the, what I think of as the essential you, which is basically what you just talked about. It's your purpose, your why. It's, it's you, Dave, being fully who you are, grounded in who you are, you're just you're you, right? So there's you and also having self-awareness. You know, they've done a lot of stuff we're talking about. There have been studies done, you know, around Daniel Goleman's uh, emotional intelligence and self-awareness and self-management and the ability, of, like how important that is to leadership impact. This, the essential you to me is where that self-awareness lives. OK, so essentially you all about what you value, what you know about yourself and you staying in your space. Then the next level of it goes up to what I think of as energetic presence, not to freak everybody out, but it is energetic presence. And that's literally looking at how you take, you know, how you take great care of yourself, um, the environment you surround yourself in. So you know, how you take great care of yourself, that actually is what attracted me to Bulletproof Executive in the first place. Because I, you know, got turned on to you guys about a year ago and I was so excited because I just started sending people in my IEP courses to Bulletproof in terms of, you know, like, you got to take better care of yourself. Like, that is a, a foundational piece. If you're working with me, if you're doing this work, you have to take amazing care of yourself. So, so thank you for that. <laughs>
2: oh, you're, you're so welcome. In, in yeah. your experience, what is the reason that you have to take good care of yourself? Like, like yeah. what, what do people get out of that? What?
3: what yeah, There's several things. One is, you know, the confidence is one of the obvious things. But more importantly to me is, I notice when people are eating a lot of junk and they've got a lot of brain fog and they're eating gluten and they're eating all this crap and they're not taking care of themselves, they can't stay present. Yes. I mean, that's it. Like they can't. You can't stay present if you're if you're chalked up with a bunch of crap. So. Uh, that, you know, for me, I was always saying, I was sending people to paleo. And of course, you know, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor. You have to do what's best for you. But at the same time, I found that paleo and then bulletproof executive, like those, that, that was the thing that if I could get people to start following you guys, then it would take care of the nutritional component. And then obviously a lot of other things. So that's, that's what got me, uh, that's what introduced me to you guys and why I got so excited to, to talk to you when you guys asked.
2: So it was about having, having the energy to be present, basically, eating yeah. right. That that's oh. been my experience. I, I don't know how to do what I do if I was eating gluten or oh. margarine or like soy and all that other stuff. Like it makes me weak.
3: Oh, it's 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 amazing. And I watch also. You know, here's the other thing: is if you work, if you look around the model, you've got you know, so you've got essential you. You've got the energy and presence. Well, there's the physical well-being. You know, your, there's your physical energy. How you take care of yourself. So that's what we're talking about right now. Then there's there's your environmental. So how does your environment support you? And that that comes down to. Uh, you know, literally things like your pantry and your refrigerator, you know, if, if I come over to your house, Dave, and you're teaching all this bulletproof exact stuff and I come in and I look in your closet and you've got like all these donuts, you're, there's, you're out of alignment somewhere. So there's- my, there's My
2: donut people. stash? Oh no. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so busted. So, um, and then and then the next piece of that of that model is literally about your mental, your emotional uh, energy and how you think. So you probably, I'm sure, completely see this when you're eating a lot of gluten and junky food that hurts your thinking, you know, like your confidence, your assumptions, you know, a big piece of IEP is the intentions and the assumptions people make. So if I assume that, for example, let's just say that I assumed that this show was going to be really horrible to be on and you're going to be a horrible host. And you guys, you know, just the audio was, the audience was just going to hate this and whatever. If I make that assumption and I get on with you, that's going to have an impact on how I show up. So I might not be able to uh, totally control how people receive me or totally control how they respond to some of this content, but I can at least take really good care of myself and do the very best I can to share it and contribute as positively as possible.
2: So you're getting results in a relatively short program, uh, you know, 90 minutes, and you do some ongoing leadership coaching and things like that. If someone's listening to this podcast, they're likely driving... uh, most people listen to these on their commutes or when they're exercising what's step one if if you know okay i've decided i want to be more intentional i want to have you know higher energy yeah where do you start
3: okay the first one is to decide that you actually want that
2: okay and and what are the what are the blockages people deciding that it seems obvious
3: Uh, well it does maybe to you and i it seems obvious right but i i find it's not it's um it, it is making so here's a lot of people walk through their lives being uh, reacting to their life and and blaming external circumstances for not having energy, for being tired, for having a busy life. Like whatever you name it, think about all the things that people, all of us, I'll just say human beings, tend to uh, put blame on for why our life isn't the certain way that we want it to be, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, that all boils down to a decision. So, from an IEP standpoint, the first step is literally making the decision that you want your impact to be better. That's it. Like make the decision. And, uh, you know, reasons why people might not want to is in my experience, people get a lot of mileage out of being able to blame everybody else that they're not showing up or getting the results that they want. Yeah. Because working for the results can be harder. Taking care of yourself, giving up gluten. I'm sorry. That's, you know, I, I, I kind of am a fan of bread. Like, it was painful to give up gluten, but, you know, so it's a decision.
2: It is fear a reason that people don't show up?
3: Definitely. I think so. I think that fear, I think a lot of times, and this is, this falls into the environmental and relationship quadrant of the IEP model is that the people that we surround ourselves with, um, tend to be, you know, who we become. Like we, we, we start to model the behaviors of people around us. And a lot of times people are afraid to show up even bigger because if they show up even bigger, they might alienate their spouse, their team, you know, it's the tall poppy syndrome, right? Like the tallest poppies get cut down. So a lot of times, that not deciding to show up bigger comes from a fear that's been produced for, what, for whatever reason they've got going on in other parts of the model. So, Okay.
0: yeah.
2: So the first step is they decide they're going to do decide. it. And, and let's say decide. that they decide what rationally and emotionally that they're going to do it. So they, they get past whatever fear they have of of success, honestly, there's a lot of people who are just afraid of being successful because then they're responsible, and then they yeah. might fail. And it's easier to just not succeed because they don't have to be afraid of failing. it's weird, but
3: yeah, no, totally, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah.
2: so so we've gotten past that. That was step one. What's step two?
3: So step two would be now to start having awareness around how how am I showing up, and am I showing up in a way that I really want to show up? So step two is just awareness, like really it, looking at. You know, if, if my life is not the way that I want it to be, if I'm not getting the results that I want to get, if I'm being perceived as a jerk, but I think I'm amazing, what is it that I'm doing? What is what is it that I'm doing? How am I showing up that's creating that impact in my life? So that would be, so second would be awareness.
0: Okay.
3: And I find that honestly, about 60, 70% of this work is around the, the deciding and the awareness. If I can get people to decide and then be aware, then all of a sudden, you know, if they will start taking better care of themselves, and they'll start being more aware of how they're literally showing up and how they're creating their circumstances, because we create our lives. Like, we create our circumstances. So if we can start, if they start to be more intentional about that, then all of a sudden it becomes more obvious to start shifting things. So, for example, um, and this is in the emotional piece, right? So underneath every single complaint is just an uncommunicated request. So if I'm complaining about something in my life or if I'm complaining about this relationship, I want to look at what is the request that's underneath it. And if I can make that request or actually get into action to make it better, then all of a sudden I'm in a, in a more of a position of power. And that power builds itself up and then my IEP, it's easier. Like it, it, What I find is it's contagious. The minute we start to make a little bit of a shift, then everything else starts to get easier.
2: Okay. okay. Talking about awareness is pretty yeah. easy to do. Right? Okay. Yeah. We're going to be more aware, but... You know, you don't walk around with a mirror. And even if you had a mirror, that's just how you're physically moving your body. And since you're talking and moving, you probably aren't watching what you're doing with your body anyway. That's why you see people on stage rocking back and forth. Even, like, you know, Bill Gates, when he talks on TV, you still see him rock back and forth. Yeah. And he, I'm sure someone's told him that before, right? He, yeah. he knows it, but he doesn't know it at the time. Yeah. So awareness, sounds it's a nice concept, but, like, how do you make awareness real?
3: Yeah. I, for a long time, I had... Uh, let's see, for a long time, I'm just thinking for myself, for a long time I had this thing that I would do where I would throw little filler words in and I would mm-hmm. pick filler words, you know? So I, I experienced, a lot of people have filler words. and Do you have filler words?
2: Do you no. mean like um?
3: Like um or like or et cetera, et cetera or nope. um? No.
2: Okay. I don't, I don't um, believe I do. I've taken them out very consciously over the past, what, 15 years of public speaking. Yeah. But it, was a, it was a process to do it.
3: Yes. Yes, well, that's the awareness right there. So, the minute I have awareness that I am using a filler word, then all of a sudden my consciousness, I'm going to start sorting for that. So, I'm going to be a little bit more intentional about it every time. So, literally, I might, before I go in to speak, I might say, okay, I am going to focus on speaking clearly and articulating and communi- connecting with whoever I'm speaking with. I personally have found it not as effective to say, I'm not going to say, um,
2: it doesn't work. It makes you say it more.
3: It makes me say it more. Right. <laughs> So the awareness piece, the minute you have awareness, now you've got something that you can start to put your intention on, but you put it in the intent, you put it in the positive. So if my posture has been really bad, think about if you have really bad posture, you want to look at, instead of saying, okay, I don't want to have bad posture anymore. How do I want to show up on stage? And so there's, and so there's a, there's a five-step reboot that I do with people, which is the first step on presence is just noticing what your presence actually is literally gauging, okay, how am I feeling right now? Emotionally, physically, how am I showing up? You know, am I contribution to the room just by the energy that I'm putting into it? Or am I detracting away from it? Right? Does that make sense?
2: It makes sense to me because I've trained my awareness. And I've had a very hard time communicating to people, um, other than if I'm like working with a coaching client on on public speaking, um, where it comes down to Almost everything that I teach them is grounding. There's guys who can teach stage technique better than me.
3: Right, right, you know, right. Raise
2: your arm higher and all that, and, and yeah. those guys are amazing. But most people are too flighty. Even the professionals, are, they just can't be present until they learn how to be present. So uh, I'm really intrigued by your work because you're making it part of what you're doing, and you're dealing with some of these very mushy, soft things that half That's the world okay. doesn't even know exist. But those yeah. are the key to being a good yes. presenter.
3: It, it is, it is and, it, and here's the thing is we're talking a lot about presenting,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and, and the presenting piece is really important obviously, but I want to make sure it, this is about just your life. This is literally about how we show up from a present standpoint in the rest of our lives, and how we, you know, going into that simple feedback conversation, or that conversation with your child, you know, or with your spouse. Literally thinking about getting really present about my intention for my child and how I'm showing up energetically with them before I go in and have that conversation. That helps me, that's a superpower. that helps me actually be that much more effective with my kid and he's going to experience me much more um, uh, connected and grounded as his mother, you know what I mean? It's like, so it's not just stage presence, it's literally your presence in every single thing that you do. And, and the other piece is just that, you know, we talked about this is happening in 90 seconds, people can see this. People can see bits of this in 45 seconds. When, when we get into a room and we really start looking at it, you see this immediately. The I want to be really clear with everybody that this is a practice. This is not something that you learn and you're done with it. You literally, you learn it, you have awareness around it, and then you make a commitment to keep making your IEP a little bit stronger every day. So whether that's you know working in the first and the second quadrant around the thoughts that you're thinking and how nice you're being to yourself, you know, or the food that you're eating, or if it's in the third and fourth quadrant, which is literally around how you show up in, you know, on the stage, in your relationships or whatever. It's, it's literally making it into a practice, like a yoga practice almost.
2: It, it is. It, Every sentence you speak is one of those. In fact, I realized when I was working on why do I say um and why do I do yeah. those other sounds that I very rarely do these days. It was because unconsciously some part of me was worried that I wouldn't get hurt or that I would lose the floor. So I felt I always had to be saying something or people would think I was dumb or something. When I got right down to it, I realized it's just fine, especially when you're on stage and you have the floor, yeah. to take a pregnant pause. And it made me a much better speaker. Yeah. But in order to do that, I had to have awareness, A, that I was saying, um, and, uh, and all the other things that I would do. And B, I had to understand... That if I didn't do those things I'd still be safe. And yep. dude, I'm the bulletproof executive, how could I not be safe? Et cetera, et cetera. But right. this right. isn't rational. None of the stuff we're no. dealing with here is on the cognitive brain level. So, it's okay. all energetic, like primal brain kind of stuff.
3: Yeah, it is. It is. And and what's funny about that is is you taking those pauses actually makes you that much more powerful. You know, you're you're, you're what you're talking about is looking at the beliefs that you're holding underneath whatever's happening you know what's the belief that has you saying um what's the belief that has you you know going really quick so if you look at that and then and and that you know if you think about i'm just thinking about going through the different components of where i have people work you know essentially you is just you being grounded in the first place just you right the energetic the the other pieces that the food i mean that is going to make sense to everybody listening to this—the food piece, the mm-hmm. environment. That's one that really surprises people a lot because they don't realize how much their environment is actually impacting their life, yep. you know? and and their ability to be healthy and their ability to get good results. And one of the most common places I see this is with meetings. You know, this is a silly like here's a biohack for a meeting. You know, most people. I mean, I don't know how you guys probably do really quick meetings, but so many companies spend so much time in meetings. And they're 60 to 90 minutes long and, you know, whatever, you, you name the meeting. Uh, but what's happening is those people are going into those meetings and they're not intentional about what the meeting is about. They're not intentional about how they're showing up. And if you can start to get people more intentional about how they're showing up in a meeting and what they want to get out of it, you can cut a 90-minute meeting down to 30 minutes without a problem. You yeah. know, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a practice. So it applies, it applies everywhere.
2: That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, there's something else in your work that a few guests on the podcast have talked about in the past, mm-hmm. and certainly something that I tend to bring up when people ask me my top three things, mm-hmm. and that is gratitude.
0: Mm-hmm. How
2: do you bring gratitude to bear in IEP and especially with these Fortune 500 CEO types? Like, what's the role of gratitude here?
3: It's to me, it's everything. It, it, it's one of my. It's one of. It's funny. I um. We had something happen last week with our team that was a bummer. And the, one of my practices is to find the gift in everything. So no matter what, no matter what it is to find the gift, because there is a gift, there is a gift in every single thing that happens, no matter how horrible it feels at the moment, <laughs> right? Yeah. So if you can find that gift and then learn from it, you know, it's what's the gift, what do we want to learn for, from it? And now to express gratitude for that gift actually happening, you know, because that's going to some way, I always believe it's going to serve the work in some way, it's going to teach us something for the future, you know, whatever. So gratitude to me from a company standpoint, if I can get, you know, I always think of it as it starts with the individual, then it goes to the team, then it goes to the entire organization, right? And the culture that they're creating. And if I can get every individual to just start thinking about what they're grateful for, you know, whether it's toothpaste. Or great coffee, or you know that they have a roof over their head. Like any, we can find things to be grateful for no matter what. I've only met one person in my life who said that he had nothing to be grateful for, and he was super. He hadn't decided to be grateful. Like he literally was. He had decided to not be grateful. And that was a bummer.
2: I met a woman like like that once in a, in a sweat lodge of all places, mm-hmm. and. She was sitting there and just just talking about how you know she hit rock bottom and her, her life was so bad and, and she just didn't stop and didn't stop and and finally uh at the end of it, I, I looked at her and I said, "Well, I, I noticed you yourself both of your legs and she said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, I don't think you've hit rock bottom yet right
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: She didn't like that very much, but she did she did get the point, which yeah. was that you know there are always things to be grateful for.
3: There are. There are. I mean, even, even being grateful for being ungrateful, like that's an interesting place. (laughs) I mean, really that's, you know, it's, it's, you want to meet people where they're at. It's, you know, you say, how do I get executives and these people to, to kind of start working with this? I, 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 I," you have to meet them where they're at. So if they're in a place of being, you know, ungrateful and they're, they're stuck there and they want to be that way, then that's actually really something to be grateful for because you know what, you're making a decision to stay there and you've got a lot of power. Yeah. so there's something to be grateful for.
2: They could have decided to kill themselves, and they can be grateful well, they didn't.
3: Yeah, who, I mean, who knows, right? So, yeah. so I, I agree. So, gratitude, I would say, would be—I mean, one of my top. That's that. That's an. Um, yeah, that's to me. That's essential.
2: Do, do you write it down every day? Like, what's your personal gratitude practice?
3: I don't write it down. I it's it's so ingrained in me that I just throughout the day I'm just oh thank you before we got on this call I, oh thanks I'm so glad this worked with Dave finally because we've you know we've had fun getting this together so it was, it's just. It's just part of my everyday the kids and I, you know, I've got two kids and when we um at the beginning of the day we'll set intentions, you know, what do you want to create today? How do you want your day to be? You know, my daughter the other day she goes, I'm in a bad mood, I'm just gonna have a bad day. And I said, Cool, you've decided. Awesome, we're gonna have a bad day. (laughs) That's your decision, you know? And so acknowledging that they're making a decision and that they're setting intentions, we'll do it in the morning and at the end of the day we'll just say, What's your what's one thing? Like what's the the, the greatest thing that happened for you today that you feel really grateful for. And it, and it can be huge or it can be tiny. It can be anything.
2: The the it's, idea of intentions with kids. How old is your daughter? She's a teenager. eight. eight? eight. Yeah. Oh, so. My son's
3: 13.
2: Okay. We do that. My daughter's six. My son's four. And, and before bed, we do gratitude. You know, three things that happened today that, that you like, that you're thankful for. And, and it's really funny to watch them go through it and, and then change their mind. No, I like this more than this. <laughs> yeah, but right. but it, it's... I think it's a really healthy thing, and it's something that I really I, I need to work on doing that every single night. Like some nights, it's late, and we just don't. But it's it's such a powerful practice in kids. It's cool that you, you've do, done something similar.
3: It's it is really powerful. It's yeah. My kids my kids get into this stuff. They they even you know it's funny. They even get into the intention piece. My daughter especially. She's eight, so she's a little bit more resistant to the intention piece. Sometimes she goes, Mom, I can't. I'm not deciding. I'm gonna have a bad day. If I said I'm just in a bad mood, I'm gonna have a bad day. That's not a that's not an intention. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's, it's an intention, sweetie. So, but yeah, the, the gratitude piece—that um, I don't—I just think that makes things easier.
2: Yeah, if you have gratitude, in my practice anyway, it is the gateway to forgiveness.
3: Mm-hmm. So, if
2: you don't want to hold a grudge and continue being mad at someone when they don't even know you're doing it, and really wasting your own energy on on someone like that, yeah, I've I found that that I'm unlikely to let go of something if I'm not in a position to find some piece of gratitude, even if it's a stupid gratitude, you know, where you're like, really, I'm thankful I'm not going to walk into that wall again. Oh, yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah, right. Absolutely. I, well, and you're, you're reminding me of um, one of my favorite tools, so to speak, is this idea around deciding in relationships. So, you know, one of my favorite stories was I had two clients who were, they were partners in a company, and they had a really just a contentious relationship for years and people knew about it, they needed to kind of avoid it and you know you can imagine like you can imagine the story that goes with that but the I worked with one of them really intensively and one day I said you know this to me no matter how wrong he is or how bad he is this to me boils down to a decision for you you know do you want to have a good relationship with him or not so she literally Dave she made a decision she said you know what I'm tired. Like, the person that was draining the energy from was her. You know, they're both having energy drain, but she was, because she was so attached to him, you know, him being wrong and her being right and all these different pieces, that was actually having more of a negative impact on her. So she said, I am deciding to have a good relationship with him. And what was amazing is she could have gone to him and said, hey, look, we're having a bad, we have a bad relationship. I want to have a great relationship. That would have been a perfectly great way to handle that. But instead, she opted not to say anything and just to start operating from a place of deciding to be good with him and so it, it, it completely her making a decision killed off the other option of continuing to gather bad, bad evidence for him and instead had her start looking at when he did things really well you know what was great about him what did she appreciate about him and the fun thing about it was that her energy and presence actually shifted with him and he started to show up differently and now those two have one of the best relationships in the company. So he didn't even know what was happening. He didn't even know. It was literally her deciding. It's kind of like that exercise that that woman did with the, you know, scratching her nose. People feel what we feel towards them. They feel it. Yeah. So that decision piece is, to me, that's the other thing. It's like, that's magic. If if, if you can constantly look at how you're contributing to the things that are happening in your life and then make a decision to shift them, it's pretty cool.
2: You totally can. And. One of the really exciting things about biohacking and one of the reasons I'm a supporter of the quantified self yeah. is that we're finally getting enough sensors with enough detail that we can measure the physiological responses that you're talking about. So yeah. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, what you're saying would have been complete nonsense to the oh. vast majority of people, especially the hardcore scientists who they know I how understand. it works. Honestly, <laughs> they know how a lot of stuff works and you know I'm, I'm a big fan of science. Uh, At the same time, these new sensors keep breaking old scientific paradigms. And for instance, the heart rate variability thing, one of the reasons that that I believe it does something is we can show that if someone has a particularly strong amplitude heart rate variability, whether it's chaotic or ordered, the people around them will shift their own heart rate variability to match.
3: Yes, that's right. So you can
2: be the antenna in the room and you can be chaotic or not, but if you're chaotic and you don't know it and you're strong... People will become more, you know, their, their heart rate variability will become more chaotic, and that'll manifest itself as people don't feel comfortable. Yeah, like, their stress levels go up. Yeah, and so you can be a stressful person, but now we can measure that you're having yeah. this effect on other people instead of just saying we all kind of know it's true because some of us can sense it and some of us don't, and some of us think it's not true. I'm sorry, like, I I think the the word for it is science, <laughs> so.
3: It was funny. I was, um, I was with a group last week and I did a two-day uh, intensive with t- 24 of their executives. And in the room, about eight of them were scientists, hardcore scientists. And I had dinner with them the night before. And they said, okay, Anise, be prepared because tomorrow's going to be, there's going to be some resistance in that room talking about this energy stuff. And so I I went, okay. And so I, I got some statistics together, you know, like sleep statistics and mirror neuron stuff and like the science, right? And the the research that's you know talked about how you know 70 to 90 percent of your impact is actually not in the words that you say but literally in your presence and and the the beliefs that you're bringing excuse me so i had all this science ready for them and um i was ready to go dave (laughs) and i got up there and i had them do one of the first exercises that we do in the first 20 minutes and uh I got up and I threw up a slide to just show them some science, and one of the guys goes, "Never mind, we don't we don't need to see that. Let's just keep going with this stuff." Because they were able to feel it so quickly. They were, you know, it's just the power yeah. of getting people present with each other. That that's the magic of what happens. It's just getting them present. So that was that was it was it was interesting. I'll, I'll, I didn't need any of my data to like cool. back up. But
2: if only we, <laughs> if, if only we taught people in school how to be present. That would be amazing because then you could just bring it to a meeting and then you could use your presence to determine whether or not you were, you know, there was a scam going on in the room or whether <laughs> the information was coming from the right place. And yeah. the whole intuition creativity thing happens there.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I think, you know, I, I believe that our presence is actually our impact. That You yeah. know, what, what if it was that simple that our presence is our impact and that our ability to use intention to decide what that's going to be? I mean, what, if, what if it was as simple as that? you know you know and, and and I guess I guess one other piece I would just add is you know you talk about um, oh matching you know matching people so for people out there listening to this who work on teams or that are in relationships it's really easy unless you are really intentional about this it's really easy for the lowest vibration I'm going to use that word just for a minute it's really easy <laughs> for the lowest vibration in the room to win you know so imagine you go into a group of 8 people and you know, six of them are actually in a pretty good state and there's two that are just bringing the room down. Yep. Unless those six can really be intentional about holding their state, it's going to be easy for the rest of them to pile on and then sink the energy of that room. And so you think about that from a cultural standpoint, you know, you think about that from um, just a team standpoint, that, that, that's got some pretty interesting repercussions about it.
2: It, it does. And
3: and those
2: are quantifiable. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I was I was about to to try and express that in a similar way. This yeah. is measurable, and it's not mumbo jumbo like crystal harmonic kind of stuff. It's human interaction, and psychologists know this. And now physiologists are starting to measure it. But if you're one of those bummer people and you don't know it, yeah, like that's bad. And in fact, yeah. casinos have guys like this who work for them, right? Uh, we'll come to a table, where everyone's winning, and then they're just like the bummer person. They start playing, and everyone around them's like, "Oh my god!" This like they really they have professional bummers. I, I don't know what they call them, but
3: I did not know that. That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's true. And you know, and here's the other thing is, except with the exception of the professional bummers, <laughs> it's my experience that most people don't want to be that bummer person. No, I mean, some people get a ton of mileage out of it, and it's you know the woe is me, and they really like to be there, and they're and they're 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 there, and they want to be there, and but in my experience, most people don't want to be that person. And so it's literally shining a little bit of a light on it going, hey, look at this. Do you, do you realize the impact that you're actually having? Do you realize how you're contributing to how hard your life is and how busy you are and how much people don't want to hang out with you? Like, you're contributing to that. And the minute they can start to see that, you've opened up, hopefully, a little bit of a window for them to go, okay, wait a second. I've got the ability to start shifting this. And, yes. that's, and that's, that's the window.
2: it's so cool that we can talk about that because it's hard to find people who uh, who will talk about this who aren't you know wearing tie-dye and you know with dreadlocks not that I don't have lots of friends who wear tie-dye and dreadlocks I do but it's hard for for people who aren't in that sphere to connect with these ideas and to understand that they're based on science and that very successful people, pro athletes and CEOs, that they use these techniques every single day. And yeah. that, that's why I thought it'd be really cool to have you on the show yeah. to talk about it. that. And speaking of talking about things, yes. we're near the end of the show, and yeah. I always ask people for their three biggest recommendations to help mm-hmm. people perform better. Given that's your business, this might be an easy kind of softball question for you, but not just from <laughs> your business, your whole life. Yeah. What are... What are they? The, the three most important three? pieces of advice. Yeah. Oh,
3: three most important pieces. We didn't even get to talk about mandating self-care. That's true. <laughs> I was like, can we mandate self Can that be an important piece? No. Oh, just-
2: that's right. We could talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about mandating self-care I'm and then thought- the top three.
3: Okay. You want, the, you want the top three first? Or you want mandating self-care? No, let's
2: talk about whether you know whether executives should mandate self-care for their people. That's a great question. We were going to talk about it. I forgot.
3: It is well. There's there's so much, Dave. There's like there's a million things we could talk about. But uh, yeah, you and I started talking about could can you? I asked you at the beginning if you're if you mandated that everybody on your team was bulletproof, and uh, and what, what was your answer?
2: No, I I don't. And yeah. it always drives me nuts when I take. Uh, All of the people, and we're still a really small company, but there's people who are, you know, mid-20s, you know, starting out in their career, uh, and I'm doing my best to help support their growth, but Um, they're nervous, like, oh my goodness, what should I, what should I eat? Dave's going to say, and honestly, I don't care what you eat. uh. I I care how you perform, and if you can, like, like eat, you know, chicken wings and wash them down with beer— and you can kick ass all day long and yeah. stay present and focused, you're, number one, you're stronger than I am. <laughs> number two, more power to you. Uh, right. But if those habits show up in how you interact with others or how you perform the things that you agreed to do, then we're going to have a conversation. And I'm not yeah. going to tell you, don't eat chicken wings and drink beer. I'm going to tell you, you're not performing well, and what are the potential causes? Yeah. And that's my t- my mech- my thoughts towards it and I also give them brain octane oil I I give them bulletproof coffee I give them the beans like here's some things to help you feel good and perform well and you don't have to use them but they're there for you
3: yeah no, I I, I think that's so great I, I know I'm completely in agreement with you I uh I went through this thing for a while. I'm actually working on an article right now, and I don't know the exact title of it, but it's basically, can you mandate self-care in your organization, especially if you're covering, you know, their healthcare benefits, and you know, for my for my people, I pay for their gym memberships, like th- different pieces, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, legally, you cannot mandate. From an HR perspective, you can't mandate that somebody takes care of themselves. However, you can absolutely support them. And I think what I'm what I'm finding over and over again for myself, and then for other people that I work with, is that you know, if you set practices in place like what you guys do with the bulletproof coffee and the brain octane and all that, you can incentivize. Or I don't think you need to, I don't. I don't really believe in incentivizing self care. That bothers me a lot. I don't incentivizing it. Just feels like um, I, I would want the people on my team to take care of themselves because they really want to perform great. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, support so. it. I think you can support it, but I don't think you can mandate it.
2: You can make it easy. Like another example, we have a, a new product that's coming out in about three months. And it's other than Bulletproof coffee, it's the biggest performance boost I've ever found. And it blows away so many things that, that I've taken it as a supplement. When I tried it and a couple other people in the company tried it, we all looked at each other and said, we have to have this. So we did a special run, like pre-production run <laughs> in manufacturing just for people in the company. So for <laughs> the past couple of months, I think everyone in the company has been running on this like as a daily supplement on top of what they normally Mm do, which is totally optional, not required. Yeah. But they wanted to because everyone wants to feel good and have additional like cellular energy and things like that. And the other thing I do is when it's within reason, I bring some of the employees through 40 Years of Zen, the the training that I've done on myself. It's really expensive, and I don't get it for free. I, I pay for it like everyone else. Uh, and I do that because it's not mandated, it's offered, and it's optional, and there's no penalty for not going. But you know, what if you can upgrade someone's IQ by 12 points? And What if Absolutely. they get to do it? I'm pretty sure that they'll benefit, and I'm pretty sure that you know the mission of, of the Bulletproof Executive will also be moved forward, and so we'll yeah. help even more people. It, it's a win, but it's not mandated.
3: Yeah. No. And I and I don't I don't think for you know, especially for companies like yours and mine where our entire mission is around uh, you know, performance optimization and people feeling amazing and having the impact they want to have, I think that the nature of who we're going to attract to work for us, they're yeah. already going to have an intrinsic motivation for self-care. You know what I mean? So I think it, it's kind of a funny conversation, you know, to say, can you mandate self-care? And I know you can't, but I I I love I love what we're what we're both saying here and just that yeah. You can support it and make it easy. I like your way of thinking about it, the making it easy. I think that's really nice. It's really nice. Well, thank you. Yeah.
2: Now, speaking of making it easy, yes. you, okay. had, you had extra time for your top three. So I had extra time. lay them on us.
3: All right. So okay, besides the obvious ones, like take really good care of yourself and, and that, those are those are just given, right? Okay. I can have those?
2: You can have those.
3: Okay. I can have those as a given. All right. I, I would go back to uh, find the gift in everything no matter how horrible it feels, like find the gift you, if I would say putting a mindset on of finding the gift in everything and then finding gratitude for that gift, you know, learning from it, that would be my, that would be one. Um, another thing would be the power to really, um, owning the power to intend and create impact. So the, the, you know, just knowing that in every moment I'm contributing to creating my reality, and so with that, I get to intend what I want to create. I like think that's really powerful. And then I think another one would be um, being kind. I, it's it's so it's so soft, but it's it's true. It's I think you know being nice is free, and holding a positive intention for other people. There, that's what it is. Holding a, a positive intention for other people and knowing that we have the ability to literally make other people do better just by the way that we hold them. And so that goes with being kind. You know, that woman said to you, thanks for being kind on stage. It's it's free to be kind. So yeah, hold a positive intent, be kind, intend <laughs> your impact. And,
2: and, and, and gratitude was the other one.
3: Yeah. And, 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 like if and, I try and squeeze them together, I'm, trying, <laughs> I'm cheating, I'm cheating on this show.
2: <laughs> you're, you're biohacking. There's I'm nothing bio-hacking. wrong with cheating as long as you tell people what you did so they can learn from it and they can cheat too the next time and we can all save time.
3: I, I, put, a, I, put, a, <laughs> I put my uh, things to do in uh, uh, slashes, I, I, I add. I, I, would get, I would get about nine more in there if I could.
2: Nice. I love it.
3: Yeah.
2: Anise Cavanaugh, where can people find out more info about you? Give us your contact info.
3: Sure. They can go to anisecavanaugh.com. And they can also go to IEPmethod.com if they want more specifically on IEP. And East Kavanaugh is kind of our home site. It's got like a ton of stuff on it. And then IEP is specifically about the method. There's videos, there's pictures, there's uh, the toolkit. They're welcome to. Um, we're doing an event in May this year. We're doing another event. So they're welcome to come out for that. And um, yeah, also there's all sorts of stuff on there.
2: Wonderful. Thanks yeah. again for coming out on the show. It's, it's been a pleasure. For everyone listening, please do us the favor of heading over to iTunes and telling people that you like the show if this has been valuable for you. That helps other people find it. And thank you, And since we're talking about gratitude, for making us the number one ranked health podcast on iTunes, at least most of the time, because, hey, it varies on a week-by-week basis. But still, I, I appreciate it. And finally, if you would please go to bulletproofdietbook.com and enter your email address, I would appreciate it because I can show that list to publishers. I'm working on the Bulletproof Diet book, and I can say, look, here's people who care about the book. And if you'll do that, I'll send you the first chapter as soon as it's done, and I'll send you the new, very nice Bulletproof Diet infographic for no cost. So bulletproofdietbook.com and click. This is a really cool podcast on iTunes. Thank you all. See you soon. And Anise, thank you.
3: Thanks, Dave. Thank you.